The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. I added a fourth one. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. This is the fourth of four consecutive special episodes we're doing here on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio featuring MBA professors and MBA graduate students at Baylor University in Texas joined with an SAP thought leader each week. So we have what I call this a, a micro mini series, and I'm just delighted. I want to thank whoever is tweeting at Baylor underscore MBA for saying, hey, this is the last hashtag SAP radio spot today. Listen live. Yes, we are live and looking forward to this. So let's get started. The buzz today is the word engagement. Let me tell you why. Baylor University and SAP researchers found that employee engagement is alarmingly low worldwide. Get this, only 13% of surveyed employees are feeling actively engaged. We'll find out a little more later in the show about that actual research. So wondering if complexity in organizations, because we know the bigger organizations get, the more like what, when I was a programmer, we used to call it spaghetti code. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more complex and more tangled. If They wonder if complexity in organizations could be a root cause of this low employee engagement. So they also explored whether a combination of simplification, a big, big buzzword today, engagement and trust, ooh, that's an important word, can help companies function better. Their findings may surprise you, but more important, their findings may benefit your business in a big way. So we have a wonderful panel today, and let me start by introducing Dr. Ann Mirabito. She is Associate Professor. Professor Marketing at the Hankamer School, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, School of Business at Baylor. And Anne sent me two quotes, one from Albert Einstein and one from Confucius. Let me read them. Einstein wisely said, and it's purported that he said this, everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. That's the first quote. Second is from Confucius. And Confucius said, purportedly, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Great pair of quotes. Anne Mirabito, welcome. How are you today? Oh, great to be here. You know, what's so interesting to me about these quotes is that who can we think of who has more IQ cells than, or more IQ points, more brain cells than Albert Einstein, or who's delivered um, more wisdom? Confucius has certainly delivered a lot of wisdom that has guided our lives. And yet, both of these individuals and lots of other big thinkers through the ages have really talked about the power of simplicity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's uh, something that you might know called Occam's Razor, uh, which was created by a 13th century 
English theologian and scholar, and it's a principle. And what it says is that if you've got lots of different explanations, you should choose the simplest one, the one with the fewest assumptions. So if a tree gets knocked down, you might say, oh, uh, and there was a bulldozer in the area, you might say, well, the bulldozer knocked down the tree. Or you could say aliens came from another planet and knocked down the tree. Go mm-hmm. for the simpler kind of an explanation. Um, this notion about simplicity, uh, we see it in the art world that um, Leonardo da Vinci believed that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Frank Lloyd Wright believed that the architect's job was to simplify. Uh, in literature, we have in philosophy, we've got Thoreau, who warned that our life is being frittered away by detail and urged us to simplify, simplify. What I think is really fascinating is that all of these quotes about simplicity came from what we think of as people who are living in what we think of as being a simpler era Mm -hmm. without the complexity of contemporary life. So today we've got more data, more complexity, more uh, multitasking going on, and um, perhaps an even bigger need to pay attention to simplification. Thank you, Anne. Very interesting. I'm thinking as you're speaking about the lyrics to, I think it was from the song, The Way We Were, harking back to Barbara Streisand. And I think she said something about life was so much simpler back then. And and you're telling me that Confucius said life is really simple. We insist on making it complicated. So he was saying it can be simple. Albert Einstein was saying we should try to avoid complexity and make things simple enough. It seems to me, Anne, that this is from a sociological perspective that everybody seems to think a time in the past was a simpler time. And yet here we are today, as you say, we are connected. We are with every device. We are connected to people and places and stores and things more than even 24-7 if that's possible. And we're saying, oh, I long for the simpler days. But I think we're the ones who are willfully making it complicated. What do you think? I think that's really true. And and not only may there be emotional reasons that we want to make the words simple or make the world more simple, but there are also some pretty logical reasons for making the world more simple. Um, there's some recent research by uh, Stanford professor Kathleen Eisenhart who looks at the power of simple rules to guide complex situations. So she points out that um, burglars have very simple rules. A burglar might have a rule, which is you pass by a house if there is a car in the driveway, find another house to break into. Or um, Federal Reserve Board Chairman Janet Yellen is guiding interest rates by watching the gap between the targets that she set for unemployment and inflation and actual performance. So these simple rules can really help people make decisions when, uh, even though there might be a lot of data around, help people make decisions fast. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm thinking of little children saying, Mommy, it doesn't taste good. I'm not eating it, and it doesn't get any simpler than that. Thank you, Anne, very much. Good introduction to our topic today. Let me invite our second panelist to speak. It's Lauren Mosier. She's a double MBA candidate. She is taking an MBA and an M, Master's of Divinity at Baylor University. Very interesting. Actually, both of our students today are joint degree students. And Lauren sent me the following quote from Aldous Huxley. Those of you scratching your heads, he's best known for his novel, 
Brave New World and nonfiction books like The Doors of Perception, which recalls his days in the psychedelic land. And we won't go there any further, but here's the quote. Hell (laughs) isn't merely paved with good intentions. It's walled and roofed with them. Yes, and furnished, too. Well, that sure paints a picture. Lauren Mosier, welcome. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. Super excited to be here today. I'm doing very well. Um, And just like you said from that quote, uh, I love Aldous Huxley from a literary perspective. He's one of my favorite authors. Uh, But from a simplification perspective, um, this quote really resonated with me. And the fact that, you know, hell isn't merely paved with good intentions. It's all roofed and furnished with them as well. Um, But what we found in our research is that people don't set out in their day to make someone's life more complex, right? I believe it was Darwin mm-hmm. that said that humans are more inherently angelic than bestial, and the fact that they, they don't walk into work and say, how can I make someone's life more difficult? Um, I'd like to think that we have better intentions with that, but the best intentions and the best, best made plans can go awry, and that's really what you find in simplification, and there's really a trust component to this as well. As managers have these great intentions for their employees, and they say, let me help you. Let me give you a framework to work from. And I'm going to put these guidelines and these procedures and these processes in place to guide you along, um, which is a great, a great concept, great idea. Um, but what we see, and we'll, we'll touch on this more later on um, mm-hmm. in the show as well, is that it actually ends up hindering employees because now they have extra steps that was unnecessary at the outset because the manager has put these in place for them at, thinking that this was going to be good for them, thinking that they were going to hedge their bet and, you know, reduce the risk and really make sure that everyone's, everyone's bases were covered. But ultimately, now your best people can't do their best work because they're having to jump through hoops. So that's really where that quote, at least for me, resonated about simplification. Thank you, Lauren. When you mentioned processes and procedures for simplification, I think we all just want to sit back and laugh and some of us want to cry because we know it's not simplifying. It's desimplifying. It's saying do more in order to have less and it's just going to be a problem. But that's a management style in many, many companies. They don't know how to live without their processes and procedures that get more and more complicated. And I go back to my comment in the beginning about spaghetti code. It just keeps growing and getting more tangled. Thank you, Lauren, very much. Looking forward to more from you. And let me bring on one of your fellow students. It's Josh Arnold, who, as I said, is a joint degree student. He's taking an MBA and a JD, going to be an attorney at Baylor University. And here's a quote. I had to look this one up, Josh. I didn't know that there's a group called A Day to Remember. They're called an American Easy Core Band from Ocala, Florida, founded in 2003 by guitarist Tom Denny and drummer Bobby Scruggs, known for their unusual amalgamation of metalcore and pop punk. I'm a boomer. I have no clue what that means. But here's here's the quote, and the quote is from the last two lines of their song titled, Sometimes You're the Hammer, Sometimes You're the Nail. That I've heard of. And here's the quote. God help those with open hands. May they never feel burdened again. Yeah, I'll stand up for those that can't. I'll close the distance. Can you translate for me, Josh Arnold? Please, I really have no clue. Please go ahead. Welcome to the show. Go ahead. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, Just to clarify a little bit, the song, if you haven't heard it, go on YouTube. I'm sure everybody knows of YouTube. So go on YouTube and look it up. It's a beautiful song about overcoming adversity and dealing with life's struggles. And the line before this says, God help those who help themselves and forget about everyone else. What he then does is relating the ability to help yourself to helping others. And I think I saw a beautiful 
relation to what we've done with this project with SAP. So many people are struggling with the project, um, the problem of being unengaged at work. And this was, an this was an opportunity to use the education that I've received here at Baylor to help others. So as you mentioned at the start of the show, simplification has been, you know, a driving factor here in management lately with engagement being so low. If we can start to understand these concepts, we can help businesses and help the people that work in those businesses to become more engaged at their job, which they spend so much of their time of every week. Thank you, Josh. Very, very interesting. Uh, by the way, is this one of your favorite bands, and do they have other great words you can pluck from their lyrics for things like this? I will. Uh, it is a favorite band. I will try to think of some throughout the show, and maybe I can drop one or two in. That would be cool. You can educate me and maybe some of our listeners. Thank you very much, Josh, and welcome. And let's turn to our fourth panelist. She is Deb Stambaugh, Vice President of Human Resources at SAP. Deb has been on some of our shows before. Deb, we now have 15 different series, and I have trouble keeping track, but I know we've met before. <laughs> and here's a really, really, really classic quote from Robert Frost. Uh, this is very, very famous. And Robert Frost, those of you wondering who might be from a very young generation, he was one of the most popular and critically respected American poets of the 20th century, honored frequently during his lifetime, and he received four Pulitzer Prizes for poetry. So there, and here's the quote. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I hope I said that nicely enough. Deb Stambaugh, welcome. How are you today? Um, well, Bonnie, thanks so much for having me. And, you know, I, I love that quote. It's actually one that my mom introduced me to when I was a really young kid, and one that I've actually lived by for a long time. And, and I thought it was so appropriate for this show because I think it has such a great alignment to uh, really all the topics that we're talking about. We're, you know, talking about taking your path is, I think, really what drives engagement for individuals, right? We are, at the end of the day, individuals that work for, you know, large corporations, small corporations, what have you. And, and it's that personal drive and passion that's a big piece of that, road less travel by, right? That that mm -hmm. where you get that personal passion because you're gonna you're gonna, you know, find that innovation. You're gonna find that unique way of doing things and really bring value back to the organization. And having trust from leadership really supports that personal passion. I wanna point out that I'm saying having trust from leadership. Because oftentimes mm -hmm. we talk about trusting leadership and, and actually there's a terrible stat out there or, or an accurate stat out there um, right now that says um, I think it's there's only about 20% uh, trust in business and world leaders today. And so the, the opposite end of that, from an engagement standpoint, is really having trust from leadership. Because when you have trust from leadership, we as employees, right, then feel empowered. We feel engaged. And that really leads to things getting uh, much more simpler, much more straightforward, because you know what you're dealing with. And you know where you can add value, and you know what, what's important to the organization. So, you know, really Robert Frost, I think, you know, summarizes it so eloquently, much more so than I could, um, but really it brings together all of those aspects of engagement and leadership trust. And, and at the bottom line, at the end of the day, how do you simplify it so that you can get people doing their best work? 
Thank you very much, Deb. Great overview. I, I'm going to ask you a question going back to my monologue. Uh, I talked about combining simplification, engagement, and trust, although engagement mm-hmm. is what we're trying to seek. Is that a winning combination? Let's just take simplification and trust together. Will those help? Let's just do, do the cliff notes for what we're going to be discussing in the roundtable. Is that the winning hand that's going to help companies really get the level of engagement up where they know their employees really want to be there, really want to do their best, really want to contribute? Is that the magic bullet? I, you know, in my opinion, it is. If you look at any any engagement surveys, any engagement research, it all comes back to a couple of key factors. And it's interesting whether you're looking at Aon Hewitt or um, Towers Parent or what have you. They all come back to the same levers, and those levers really talk about transparency. They talk about communication, and this all comes down to leadership. Right? Leadership requires trust on both ends. And that trust and, and uh, combined with simplifications that people, it's not complex for people to understand what it is you want them to do and why you want them to do it and what is the driving force that we're all going after. I think that's absolutely your winning combination, simplification and trust. You can't have one without the other. Thank you. I like that very much. You know what? I'm going to circle back to Dr. Ann Mirabito, and I'm going to ask her probably the toughest question of the entire show, Ann, but I know you prepared well for this because you're a professor of marketing and you know how to do this. I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today or what are you planning to drink mm-hmm. after the show? Because you're on the one and only Coffee Break with Game Changers, so I have to ask you that question. Ann, go ahead. What are you drinking? Well, this is so perfect for Coffee Break because I love espresso and I love lattes. And I'm also pretty health conscious. And so um, in the mornings, I fill a big mug with freshly brewed Italian decaf espresso. So it is decaf espresso. And then I add a vanilla protein shake. So I start the day with this huge protein boost. And I get my fix of espresso and my sort of ersatz latte. So it's sort of a um, road less taken approach to making a latte. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Very nicely done. Very nice. A nod to Deb and Robert Frost. Oh, that was beautifully done, Anne. I won't ask everybody else to top that one, but let's see what they do. Lauren Mosier, what are you drinking right now, or what are you going to drink to celebrate after the show? Well, my my drink of choice at the moment is substantially less uh, well thought out than Dr. Mirabito's. Um, I was drinking, and what was in my cup was a badly French press cup of coffee. Now it's mostly grounds at the bottom because, Bonnie, at a certain point in your MBA program, you stop having time to do even the basic things. So if you are chewing coffee grounds at the bottom of your cup of coffee, you're probably going into finals week. Odds are pretty good. Well, we can use that as a, as a, a hallmark or a, a post sign along the way. Chewing coffee, finals week. Okay, now we know. I, I've always wanted to know what today's MBA students live like. So that's what you've got. Is it cold? Is it warm? What, what, what do those grounds look like? Are they sweet? Oh, Are they bitter? It's really cold and it's really bitter, you know. Um, Aww, but, uh, would somebody buy that student a good cup of co- And you have to take Lauren out for something good after the show. Please. I'm I'm that's true. That is so breaking true. My, breaking my heart here. Josh Arnold, I hope you're drinking something a little more pleasant than that. What are you drinking, Josh? Well, Lauren had the right idea with the caffeine. I'm actually drinking a wonderful energy drink known as Zyance, Z-Y-I-E-N-C-E. And uh, zero calories, zero sugar, a lot of caffeine, enough to get me through finals. It's been a favorite for the past few years in the JDMBA program. Wow. Zyance, Z-Y-I-E-N-C-E. Is that how you spell it? Yes, ma'am. 
I'm going to have to look that up. Does it have a flavor? What does it taste like? The flavor I am drinking is called Frostberry Blast. And it's, uh, <laughs> it markets itself as the performance energy drink. It is the official energy drink of the Ultimate Fighting Championships. So that should tell you. Well, is I would say. A flavor? Is that actually a thing? Is it? I'm going to call it a flavor. It's pretty good. (laughs) It is, as of right now, officially on Coffee Break with Game Changers. It just became a flavor. Josh, you need a drink like that if you're juggling an MBA and a JD degree. You are probably, like Lauren is, you're one busy student. Would you say that's correct? Oh, that is absolutely correct. There are never enough hours in the day. Yep. Well, join the real world. That's the way some of us live all the time. Get used to it, I'll say. Get used to it. It's going to go on for a long, long time. Deb, stand by. You've heard what the others are drinking. Are you taking the road less traveled? What are you drinking today, Deb? No, unfortunately, I'm jumping on the bandwagon on this one, Bonnie. I am. I. Mine is a combination of simplicity and engagement, though. I've got a black coffee and one sweetener. Little, little bit of simple, little bit of engagement. I like that a lot. You always come through, Deb. Guess what? We're talking today about employee engagement simplification at work. And I tried to make that a little bit of a double entendre. Simplification in the workplace and simplification doing its magic. Speaking today with Dr. Ann Mirabito, Lauren Mosier, and Josh Arnold, all from Baylor University in Texas, and Deb Standby. Deb, by the way, where are you calling from today? New York. Oh, you're here with me. Okay, I'm on Long Island. Welcome. I'll wave to you when you wherever you are. Uh, we're we're talking about employee engagement simplification of work. We have a very very full docket for our roundtable. No uh, pun intended for Josh Arnold with his JD in the works. Uh, we're going to be starting the roundtable when we come back, and Dr. Ann Mirabito is going to be my kickoff person. And Ann, you sent me such interesting copious notes. We're going to on the break. We're going to decide something wonderful to kick off the roundtable, and then we'll have everybody join in and go around and around and around. So we cover the topic thoroughly. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm planning to be after the break, and I'm just drinking water today because that's all they let me have on radio show days. But I digress. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. We have a very important topic today, employee engagement simplification at work. Puns and double entendres are welcome. I'm going to start the roundtable with Dr. Ann Marabito from Baylor University. Mm-hmm. Ann, you sent me such wonderful copious notes, mm-hmm. and I picked something out from your notes to start this part of the show. Let's talk about the following statement. You say one of the most successful companies in the world, Apple, is shaped by simplicity. As a matter of fact, their first marketing brochure stated that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And that quest for simplicity is baked right into Apple's business strategies as well as its product lines. And why don't you get us started? How does this relate to employee engagement? Well, Apple is, um, Apple's uh, employee engagement is high, and the company has also been very, very successful. And I think that there's a lot we can borrow from Apple because Apple's a very sophisticated company uh, at the same time that it's got all the simplification going on. The company's product line is super simple. Um, so you don't see lots of, of products and models and SKU prolifer- proliferation. When uh, Steve Jobs came back to Apple in the late 90s, the company was falling on some hard times. And one of his first moves was to simplify the company's product line. Um, employees had been scrambling to create new products to stave off bankruptcy. And instead, he famously went to a whiteboard and drew a two-by-two box and and labeled the uh, columns consumers and professionals and the rows desktop and portable and told his employees, create the best product for each box and scrap the others. Um, the products, so the product line is simple, but the products are also really simple. They're intuitive. They, um, it's not that they're, um, uh, what, what Jobs really did is they, they conquered complexity. They didn't ignore it. They conquered complexity. And um, you also see that, that emphasis on simplification in the way that Apple has put together businesses that previously were super complex, like the music business. Um, mm-hmm. used to be downloads were really hard. Now it's simple with the iTunes Store and iPods. Okay, thank you very much, Lauren. Join us. Thoughts on simplicity at Apple, an icon of simplicity and good business? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, within our research, we, we ended up talking to about 35 different um, individuals from Fortune 500 companies all over the U.S. And one of the primary uh, examples and illustrations that people gave us was talking about the iPhone and really how mm-hmm. the elegant user interface design has really been um, pivotal, especially for the way that millennials view uh, simplification efforts and the way that millennials view simplicity in general. Uh, so Apple has definitely done it best. Uh, they have absolutely done an incredible job of not even not even so much of having the best technology, but make, taking that best technology and designing a compelling product. And that's really where where they've won in the marketplace. Thank you, and certainly set the bar very, very high for other companies. Josh Arnold, thoughts on this aspect of simplicity we're talking about? Lauren really hit the uh, the nail there. So many people just mentioned the iPhone when discussing millennials, but I would say the second most popular topic was Amazon. Many people mentioned that Amazon had the one-click shopping, and that had kind of evolved from that uh, iTunes mindset of just making it as easy as possible to get what you're looking for in a very quick manner. I think that's even evolved to a further point with the Prime where you can get it not only in the one-click manner, but you can have it at your door in one to two days. So we're seeing more of this evolve and evolve to the B2C side of companies, and I think that's really 
started with Apple. Thank you, Josh. Deb, talk to me. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah you know, I think what, what's interesting here as we talk about Apple and simplifying it, and they really are sort of the icon of simplicity um, in today's marketplace. But one of the things that's interesting about Apple, and, and I think, um, you know, really brings us back also to employees and engagement, is some of the systems that, as I understand, they have in place to really get to that. And, and one of the things that I know Apple uses, as well as SAP, is a concept called design thinking, as well as lean uh, thinking um, approaches, et cetera. And it really gives employees a way to be simple, right, to really put the customer first, which is, is what Apple is so good at, and really think about what exactly does the customer need and then serve it up to them. And I think it's the same thing at the end of the day when you get to employees. They are a customer at the end of the day. What do you need to serve up to them as a leader to be simple, to be trusted, and to engage those employees? Thank you, Deb. And I'm looking at a couple more of your notes before we go down into some of the research findings with Lauren and Josh. And I just want to bring up one more. I think this is perfect for our conversation. You, you asked a question in your notes. How do companies create a culture of simplification? Not just how do they simplify. How do they create that culture? And I'm looking at your first note. You say, first, the CEO must create a compelling case for simplification. Employees need to be very clear about why complexity is a problem. Give them examples of how it affects employees, them, customers, organizational productivity, etc. And any comments on this, Anne? I'll, I'll go around the table with this before we go to another topic. Thoughts? Well, I think um, what's really interesting is that when you're trying to change the culture of an organization, and that's really what CEOs are trying to do with simplification, is to change the culture. You need to change the, the message that is being delivered to employees. And so what CEOs need to do is to explain what complexity is and why it's a problem. Without doing that, there's a risk that um, employees might draw the, the wrong conclusions. They might think that, oh, the CEO is either is blaming us for uh, uh, very complex processes, or perhaps the CEO doesn't understand why we have a system that does this, 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 and this, um, or maybe this means that our company is going to start taking shortcuts. And so it's really important to explain what's meant by simplification, that it's not dumbing down, and that it's reducing the unnecessary. And then also to focus on what the benefits of um, simplification are. And again, it might seem obvious, but it's not going to be obvious to all employees. And, and in fact, what the students' research showed, it's really interesting, is that many times the beneficiary of simplification is the C-suite and that mm. employees themselves are not seeing those big benefits. So it's important when the CEO is creating the messaging around simplification to show what's in it for everybody, for the customer, the employees, as well as management. Thank you, Ann. Great points. Lauren Mosher, thoughts on this? Yeah, I completely agree with Dr. Mirabito. That cultural aspect is huge. And so one of the primary questions that we got from people that we talked with was, you know, why, why is simplification any different than what we've been doing? Is this not just lean thinking? Is this not mm -hmm. just Six Sigma? And a lot of that really comes down to the fact that simplification is the maturation of those ideas and those concepts because uh, more often than not, what we found is that you can send a point person to go get green belt certified. You can send them to learn these lean thinking principles, and they'll come back, and they will – help and try to do the best they can to simplify things in their own department. What we found, though, is 
unfortunately, that they essentially don't understand the organization and the intricacies of the organization as a whole because they're one person, they will more often than not end up pushing complexity to other areas of the organization. So they may remove the complexity from one part, but then it may end up manifesting somewhere else, which clearly makes people unhappy. Um, and it definitely reduces that trust component and, you know, essentially says, you know, please don't do that again. Uh, please, no more simplification for us. But when you have a cultural mindset and when you really have everyone on board and understanding that simplification is a value that you have to have across the board, uh, it really does make a difference. Thank you. I'm just going to fill in a little blank here. You mentioned Six Sigma, and I know we've talked about it on other shows, but just for those in our listening audience who aren't familiar, it's a disciplined, data-driven approach and methodology for eliminating defects. And the reason for the six is it's driving towards six standard deviations between the mean and the nearest specification limit, way over my head, in any process, from manufacturing to transactional, from product to service. Just wanted to get that in, and anybody who wants more, just Google it. Thank you very much, Lauren. Josh Arnold. Uh, thoughts on what Lauren just shared? Yes, ma'am. I think knowing the why behind simplification is a very important first step, but it's not the last step. I'm a big believer in changing behavior through rewards. If you want your employees to act a certain way, you have to compensate them for the way they're acting. So if you're wanting to push simplification efforts, you have to have some way to compensate them financially or otherwise for making those efforts. Otherwise, they may understand the why and why it's important and it's so great, but that's not necessarily going to motivate them to act in a manner that's consistent with simplification. Thank you. Deb Stambaugh, a lot of concepts here. What do you think? you agree with what we're talking about, the culture, the why? Yep, a couple of things. So I Mm -hmm. totally agree that why is important. I agree with Josh. You have to go a step further. Recognition is one of those things. I also think the what is also really critical. You can talk about what the why complexity is bad or why simplification is needed. But a really critical aspect of all of this is also giving your employees that uh, simple explanation of what are we aiming towards. Zappos does a really great job at this. They are delivering wow in everything they do. It's a really simple way of understanding Zappos delivers great customer service at every single touch point. So I think that's a huge part of it. And I think Josh makes a great point in terms of recognition. Recognition is one of those easy things that is so underused. There's a stat out there that says um, more, more employees than not will do a better job, I'm summarizing, um, than if they are simply recognized. And it doesn't even have to be always monetary recognition. It can be that great job in a public forum by a senior leader. And it's such an easy thing to do, and it's such an underused tool across the board in so many organizations. Thank you, Deb. Glad you wrapped that up. I appreciate that. Um, I'm looking at Lauren Mosier's notes now. I want to move along to a slightly different direction here. Lauren, you have a very interesting example of all this, the relationship between what you call the seemingly unrelated topics. We started out with simplification, engagement, and trust. And you have a great example called the hot air balloon. Why don't you take us through this? It sounds fascinating to me. Is this your example that you created, or is this something you studied in your MBA studies? Tell me. So this was actually something that uh, one of our team members thought of, because when we, when we were looking at these three different relationships and three different elements, we were having a really hard time kind of wrapping our arms around them. And a lot of that is because they're so intangible. I can't touch, touch trust. I can't feel engagement. Um, and I think that really 
creates kind of a distance emotionally between um, yourself and the concept. So we were talking through, you know, how do we ground this? How do we give someone a conceptual uh, metaphor for these for these three different topics and really help them to understand in almost kind of a childlike manner. Um, mm-hmm. Children's illustrations, really, they're, they're simple. They're simple because they're easy to understand. So we thought through, you know, what would best represent the relationship between these three concepts, and we came up with a hot air balloon. So the hot air balloon has three different components to it. It has a basket, which is trust. So in order for you to get your people on board into the basket, you have to have trust. And then you have the, the gas, and the gas is really simplification. It's the catalyst and an intermediary between the basket and the balloon. So the more gas you have, the more simplification you have, the larger the engagement becomes. And engagement is that balloon piece. And so the more engagement you have, the larger the balloon gets, the further the organization can move up and move forward. So that was what we thought would be probably the easiest way to explain to someone and and something that would stick as well. It's easy to make a concurrent diagram or a linear diagram, you know, and people will disregard it because they've seen 800 of them um, Mm -hmm. in other business presentations. But, you know, really wanted something with that sticking power and something that um, was visual and conceptual for people to kind of grasp more readily. Thank you, Lauren. There's also something very romantic in the sense of lifetime romance of the hot air balloon, right? It takes you places you never dreamed of. It takes you to new lands. It takes you across field and valley and desert and mountains, and you go somewhere else. It's a little dangerous. It's a little sexy, but it it has that adventure to it. I love the example. Josh Arnold comments on the example of the hot air balloon. Agree, disagree, and anything you want to add? I absolutely agree, Bonnie. Lauren explained it very well. I think it was important to note when we first got this project, we really struggled to try to find the relationship between all of these elements. And, you know, we tried linear approaches and we tried, you know, different loops and and discussing with our interviewees the different, you know, thoughts they had on these relationships. We were really stumped. So I think the hot air balloon really ties it all together and how much each element is needed in this example. Without trust, there's no basket. You can't go anywhere. Without engagement, you're not going to get off the ground because it's the balloon. And without simplification, you're also not going to be able to get off the ground either. So I think it's just a really well-put explanation by uh, Lauren and a lot of credit to our other teammate, David Eskew, for coming up with the example. Thank you. Boy, you just did an example of recognition there. You recognize David by mentioning him and doing a shout-out. I love that. Deb, have you, are you familiar with this hot air balloon concept, Deb, and talk to me? I what you am. Think? I will say, as one of the sponsors for their research, uh, we knew this was going to be a challenge. And, and I remember sitting in the, in the, at Baylor University with the team while, you know, I think there was a, a several moments of perplexion on their faces saying, gosh, what is this nonsense that these uh, – these folks from FIT are handing us. But I think what the Baylor team has come up with has been really, it's really insightful. It's not complex, right? What they put together here is actually a really simple metaphor um, and a really easy way for people to understand those interactions because we all inherently know it, right? We all inherently know that simplification, trust, and engagement are linked together. But it's, as they said, right, it's really hard to define. And we all inherently know that these things are important, but again, they're hard to to reach out and touch and feel and smell. So I I love this metaphor. I think it's a great way to illustrate that you can't have one without the other. Your organization is not going to float. It's not going to rise. It's not going to progress if you're not putting all these three things in place. Thank you, Deb. And Marabito, thoughts, Professor Uh, Marabito? 
I am so wildly impressed by this team and that uh, the illustration. I think they really captured the concept. And also the notion that if you, if you uh, uh, turn off the burner, you take away the simplification midstream, the balloon is going to drop. And so it's a reminder that simplification is fuel for engagement and that you need to keep it turned on. It can't be a one-shot flavor of the month corporate initiative. It's something that we need to stick with once we adopt it. Needs to become part of the culture, the fabric of the culture. Thank you, Anne. Josh Arnold, I'm looking at your notes here, and the word millennials just keeps popping out at me over and over. Millennials, non-millennials, and I noticed that in Lauren's notes, she talked a little bit about uh, a millennial thought exercise. Josh, why don't you take us through uh, two questions for you. In terms of simplification, isn't this what we assume millennials are going to bring to the workplace, demand in the workplace, or did they still need to be convinced that it's something that's of value and it ne- they need to be part of making complexity transformed into simplicity? What's the perspective there? I think you hit our starting point perfectly there. We came in with the assumption that millennials, and for clarification, our definition of millennials is those born after 1982 and are actively participating in the workforce. But millennials just crave simplicity, and, and we are expecting it at every turn because we're so different. And throughout our interviews, we surprisingly got, you know, about 40% of our responses that say, no, th- you know, my experience with millennials has not been that. They're actually the same as any other generation. They've just been very vocal. However, we do have a little bit larger majority that have said, yes, simplicity, transparency, access to information have really shaped millennial mindsets, and they're going to want simple answers when they're at work, because why should they have to have one-click shopping at Apple and one-click shopping at Amazon and then come to work, and they can't even get their basic job done because of bureaucracy and things getting in their way. So moving from that point, Mm -hmm. um, millennials really do expect um, simplification efforts. They get frustrated when it's not there, is what we found through the majority of our research. Interesting. Deb, thoughts on this part of the research? And you must work with a lot of millennials at SAP. Deb, what are you seeing? I do, you know, and I think Josh actually nailed it because um, I think uh, there's not that much of a gap between millennials and non-millennials. As a Gen Xer uh, uh, myself, you know, a lot of what you hear, you know, quote-unquote millennials talk about is a lot of the things that we all want. But I think I totally agree. I think millennials have been smart enough and brave enough um, to actually be much more vocal about it. Um, I do think that uh, millennials are coming in with a higher expectation of that transparency and that communication. And I think that's something that leaders are going to have to, and right now really have to get on board with, because that whole uh, thought process of, well, it's on a need-to-know basis, or, um, you know, those folks don't really need to know that. Well, that's how you cause disengagement. That's how you cause complexity. That's how you kill that trust within the organization because then your employees are not trusting what you say. So I think this whole notion of of, um, really paying attention to the millennial generation is going to benefit, quite frankly, all generations. Thank you. Well, those are uh, fighting words or a banner to put up on the wall somewhere. Thank you very much, Deb. And Marabito, (laughs) thoughts about the millennial aspect of our conversation so far? Well, I 
um, I subscribe to the idea that people are people and that it's true we are shaped by the environment we live in. But I think that um, a lot of the things that millennials want are the same things that everybody wants. And we can see that in the quotes that I had, which talk about people wanting simplification as far back as Confucius. Um, what I do agree is that because the culture we live in now is so graphic uh, and uh, video driven and quick that we do have an environment that the, the millennials are part of, uh, that other people are part of too, that promotes simplification and makes simplification more likely to be able to happen. I think back, I'm, I'm a baby boomer, and I think back yes. to what the Me baby too. boomers Me thought. Me too, dear. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I think back to what baby boomers thought when we were the ages of the millennials, which is uh, that whole idea of don't trust anyone over 30. Oh, that was so arrogant. And the, um, <laughs> and the notion you can, that we You can were remember the, back that far, in, <laughs> And that we were, the, we were the generation that really cared about other people and that we cared about the planet. Like what? Other people didn't care about that? So um, I think that a lot of, uh, of our values are more timeless than we might think at the time. I like that. Thank you for the recognition of, of those of us of the boomer generation who are still here and thriving and happy to be in the workforce. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, we were arrogant back then. We thought we were we were the only ones who cared about changing the world. And look what's happened since then. But I digress. Lauren Mosier, get in on this conversation about millennials. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your millennial thought exercise. Was that what Josh was describing or is that something else? Yeah, so that's what Josh was describing. So what we mm -hmm. did, we didn't want to do just a survey. We wanted to see something that was a little bit more in-depth. So we essentially designed a case study in very MBA fashion uh, that took people through a very complex approval process. Um, and it was designed in a way that it had, it had a few preset assumptions within it. So um, it had, for example, a, a friend of – you were the, theoretically uh, the person in the situation – uh, but a friend, you know, that wasn't doing their job correctly, and they were the ones that were delaying the process, and you had a boss that uh, wasn't on board and was asking for more signatures than were necessary. And so it was unintuitive and exceedingly complicated. Um, and essentially, there was no right or wrong answer, but we asked people to take us through the way that they would simplify the process. And so we looked at millennials and we looked at non-millennials and the way that they responded. And so interestingly enough, we found that 81% of our millennials um, believed that simplification led to engagement. And that's something that they talked about within their responses. Um, communication was also a big, big key, being transparent. Again, that term transparency in communication. Mm -hmm. um, about 33% of our millennials uh, mentioned that as a solution for the problem as well, uh, where the non-millennials didn't. And then the millennials also, the non-millennials actually thought, the, sorry, the millennials thought that simplification ultimately led to layoffs and losing job mm. responsibilities, which was something that was interesting that came out um, and also came out in the rest of our research, too, of simplification sometimes can be synonymous um, for some people as layoffs of we're simplifying, therefore I'm going to lose my job. And that's something that uh, the millennials really picked up on as well and felt a little bit uncomfortable with. So that thought exercise really kind of took us through um, how millennials versus non-millennials really thought through the simplification process. And it was very interesting um, and something that would definitely warrant further research uh, if need be.
Fascinating, Lauren. Fascinating that they would equate simplification with I'm going to be basically phased out or I'm going to be replaced with a robot. We've heard that one before in, in many different industries. Uh, you know, back in the day, Anne, you might you might remember these days, the only way you knew if you were going to lose your job was if you were no longer invited to certain meetings in the company where you used to be a participant, a player at the table, and all of a sudden you weren't invited and you were peeking around the corner in the conference room and said, why am I not in there? And then you knew something was happening. Remember those days, Anne? Very simple, right? Yeah, very simple. Body language. Absolutely. (laughs) That's right. It was very clear, very simple. Uh, I want to turn to one more topic before we go into the crystal ball part of the show, which will be our predictions round. We have, let's see, nine minutes left, and I want to use a couple of those minutes. Deb Stamba, very key question in your notes you sent me before the show. You say employee engagement is important, but whose responsibility is it? Too many employees, managers, and leaders think it's someone else's. And then you add, especially HR, who can put all the programs in place they want, but they cannot force people to engage. Give us a little background on this, please, Deb. Absolutely. So thanks a lot, Bonnie. So this is Mm -hmm. always a key question because employee engagement is something that's measured across virtually every organization uh, that you find out there today. And so there's a big movement right now that where employee engagement is being pushed back on employees, right? Uh, It's your responsibility to show up to work, to be engaged. And if you really think about it, right, at the end of the day, employees are, if they have a decision uh, between their personal passion and their economic um, well-being, they're going to pick their economic well-being. It's really in the interest of managers and leaders, right, to drive employee engagement because with employee engagement, you get better results you get better performance. There's a case of an American mortgage company that showed uh, those employees that were engaged uh, drove 28% higher revenue. So really, it's in that leadership's best interest to drive that engagement. And it's a major driver, as we know, of competitive advantage. And this alone should really be a reason for any leader or manager to to, uh, invest in that employee engagement. And what's interesting here is that, you know, you, when, when leaders are, are not being transparent, when they're not being trustful, when they're not being simple, what they're basically telling employees on an engagement scale is you can either decide to like the decision or not like the decision, be engaged or not be engaged, but not give them any sort of um, alignment, collaboration, or, or all of those other aspects that actually drive engagement into the mix. So at the end of the day, I would quite frankly say it's a leader and manager's responsibility to drive employee engagement. It's an employee's responsibility to show up and be open, but those levers and those um, what's going to really drive that engagement at the end of the day and in whose best interest is it and in whose responsibility area is it, I say the leader and the manager. Mm. Let's get Ann Mirabito to weigh on on this quickly. Ann, just give me a 30-second comment, please, and then we'll go to Lauren and Josh. Sure, absolutely. I've done some research in workplace wellness, which is also used to drive engagement. And what we found with uh, workplace wellness is that even companies where I've talked to the CEO, I know that their motives are pure. If the CEO doesn't personally explain to employees why we're launching a new workplace wellness, corporate gym kind of program, employees put two and two together and get five and think, oh, you are trying to cut your health care costs, and that's why you want me to go to the gym. So leaders have to be able to talk to employees, and that includes middle management because most of us work for middle management. And those are the people that will relate best to employees. 
And the word trust was implicit in what you just said. They have to trust that what you're telling them is the truth, and that's the real reason, transparency with trust. Uh, Lauren, comments on this quickly? Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think another component to that as well is kind of that releasing of control. You have this power struggle between the manager and the employee and really giving giving managers the go-ahead to release that control aspect, um, which really ultimately boosts that engagement piece. Thank you. Josh Arnold, thoughts? I think the other three hit the topic very well, but what I will add is when we conducted our interviews throughout this process, we asked people about the relationship between simplification and engagement, and the number one word that came back was empowerment. So if you use simplification to drive engagement, you can have a really powerful tool for your employees. Thank you. I'm going to circle back to Dr. Ann Marabito. Ann, we have five minutes left till the end of the show. That means if I'm a good King Solomon here, I'm going to give each of you exactly 60 seconds for your predictions. So quick question, Ann Marabito, can you fast forward to the year 2020 or what year, day, month, week, whatever do you see in your crystal ball? Predictions for the future. If we met again, what would this conversation be like? What will be different? 60 seconds, Ann Marabito, go. Simplification will become a bigger part of our culture. We're going to see simplification in the workplace. We're also going to see products that are very simple. We're going to see marketing offers that are more simple. Um, I tried to place a Mother's Day flower order this morning from a company that it looked like everything was okay. I got to the last page, and that's where shipping and handling charges came up and an additional customer care charge. I think that kind of non-transparent, non-simple uh, marketing offering is going to go away, and I think we're going to see an emphasis on simplification. And part of it is going to be because we've got more visual tools available to us, made available as part of the technology, that will help us to illustrate simplification uh, uh, more clearly uh, for everyone to be able to grasp. Thank you, Anna. One word, a non-word you didn't use was nonsense. That's nonsense when you go through all the stages and you get to the end and you say, OMG, shipping and handling, this care, that care, costs more than the whole damn order. Forget it. And you click away. That's how you lose business. Lauren Mosier, 60 seconds predictions. How far in the future can you go? Please start. So if I was going to predict into the future, I would definitely say that simplification will be the norm. Uh, right now, it's a competitive advantage. I think it's going to be an industry standard. It may not necessarily go by the name specifically simplification, but the concepts behind it of being simple and quick enough to keep up with the incredible speed and pace of the marketplace will be imperative, whether that's moving products to market or um, just being able to simplify in a way that frees your employees up to do the best work they can. Um, if I think of a, a crash cart, so a hospital crash cart is essentially designed and is simplified enough in a way that if you have a patient come in with a heart attack, you can resuscitate them in under two minutes. Um, and I think in the same way that if you're going to survive in the future marketplace, you're going to have to be simple. Thank you. Very profound. Josh Arnold, prediction 60 seconds. Keep it tight. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. I think the year 2020 is not quite far enough. That's only five years away from now. Mm -hmm. I believe that simplification is going to come first from products and then move to processes. So if you think uh, in terms of the automobile industry, we are on the verge of having autonomous cars. They're trying to have legislation to catch up to how fast companies like Google have been moving to develop these autonomous vehicles. I think the more and more we see simplification in the things that we use as consumers, that will move across to the need to have these simple 
uh, processes as employees. So I think it's going to be closer to 2025 to 2030 before we see simplification as uh, fully developed. Thank you very much. And Deb Sambaugh, 60 seconds, predictions, go. I think uh, simplification and trust and engagement are actually the measures by which we, we look at organizational health um, in a real material way. Similar to the way that we use earnings per share or revenue and profitability, it's going to be something that companies are measured on on the stock exchanges and uh, really a way that, that we're going to value companies uh, coming up in the future. Thank you. Oh, brief and to the point. I appreciate it. You left me a little bit of time to close here. I have to do big shout outs and thank you to Dr. Ann Marabito, Lauren Mosier, Josh Arnold at, at Baylor. And thank you also to whoever is behind the tweets at Baylor underscore MBA. You've been absolutely marvelous. And by the way, everybody go look at hashtag SAP radio. You'll see a graphic of a hot air balloon and the caption says gas plus flame equals simplification. Love it. Thank you very much. Deb Stambaugh at SAP. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Deb. Really appreciate your being here. I have to do a shout out to my colleague, Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, uh, who is in a new role, I understand. And Malcolm put us together with Baylor and suggested this four part micro mini series. Malcolm, it was a great success. Thank you so much for your efforts and for your passion on getting this on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. And also a shout out to Lindsay Nelson for tweeting and Karen Geraldo, one of our biggest fans. She's under K Geraldo 24. She says, thank goodness she can listen to SAP Radio live on Wednesdays because she doesn't have any other commitments in the morning. So thank you, Karen, for always being there for us. Uh, quick thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. And let's see, I'll be back tomorrow morning with a new episode of the beginning of season two of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. We now have 11 different theme series all in live production here on the Business Channel. So if you go to the schedule, look for the coffee cup, that's us, and you'll find us and my wonderful panelists on an array of interesting topics that will all help your business. Okay, time for my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing up for another Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.